0: This morning. We'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. I'm going to read out of the ESV. I, therefore, a prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope.
1: Well, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians once again, where we just read from. Ephesians chapter 4, and we will be looking at, I told you last time, half a verse, but actually it's a third of a verse today. So, um, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. Ephesians 4, verse 12, doing the work of ministry. Doing the work of ministry. What sort of person does the Lord employ in His service? Well, a good example is a man called John Mark. We first meet Mark as a curious onlooker when Jesus was arrested in the garden, and probably what happened is as john or John Mark heard the commotion of the soldiers and and the servants of the priests and all coming to arrest Jesus and passing by his house and may have even stopped there. Uh, for because his mother's house was a place for the disciples to meet. And so as the commotion is taking place, he hears that. He wrapped himself in nothing but a sheet and hurried out to follow them to see what's all this about. Well, when Jesus was arrested, you know the story, all of his disciples fled. And... Mark is standing there still, wrapped in his sheet, and so the guards grabbed him. And he's like, I'm not going to have any of this, and he just takes off. Well, he left the sheet behind him, and so he fled naked. Oddly enough, Mark is the one who told us about this incident in his own book. You know, if it was me, I don't know that I would have told that story. If I'm the author, I have the privilege of putting in there what I want, and I wouldn't want that in there. But he did, and I'm glad he did. Well, we next see Mark joining Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. He is going to serve as a helper for them. But sadly, early on, he he just couldn't handle it. And so he abandoned them. And I Think about when Paul was first saved, the believers weren't sure, because remember he was imprisoning believers uh, who followed Christ, and they were being put in jail, they were being put to death. And so when he first was saved, they weren't so sure about this guy. And so they all kept their distance, except for one man, the son of encouragement, Barnabas. He took Paul in. Well, so they returned. Paul and Barnabas, coming back to Mark's story, Paul and Barnabas come back home after their journey. And Barnabas took Mark in. Uh, That's what he did. That was his ministry. And then when they were getting ready to go on their second missionary journey, Barnabas, who is trying to restore Mark and bring him along, said, Paul, I want to bring Mark with us. Paul absolutely refused. And by the way, I think both of them were right. The Holy Spirit created two teams and they covered more ground. Fast forward now to the end or near the end of Paul's life. He's in prison for the last time. He will leave prison by going to heaven. But just before that, he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, and he says, "You know, only Luke is with me. Everybody else is left. Winter is approaching, and back then prison was not at all like what it is today. Um, it was cold, damp. Uh, it was just not at all pleasant, and winter's coming, which means it's going to be worse. So, as he writes to Timothy, he says, you know, come as soon as you can. Bring my books. Paul wanted to continue studying. Bring my cloak, because it's going to be cold. Oh, and one more thing, Timothy. Pick up Mark and bring him with you. What? You're talking about the guy who just always seems to be running Because of Jesus, are you serious, Paul? Yes, I am serious. And what Paul said there always deeply moves me. He explained why he wanted wanted him to bring Mark. He said, "Mark is useful to me for service." Wow. Are we talking about the same guy? We might wonder, especially after Mark abandoned them on the first missionary journey, we might wonder, you know, did Mark mess up so badly that he can't be used now in God's service? Is that so? Not at all. We could also ask, is Mark too important to serve as a helper to one of the apostles, Paul, here at the end of his life. I mean, that book that I referred to that Mark wrote, you know which one I'm talking about, right? The Gospel of Mark. This guy wrote one of the Gospels. And yet, didn't he have better things to do than serving as a helper to an apostle? Again, no. Because serving is significant. Helping is significant. Mark was still running because of Jesus. But instead of running away, now Mark is running as hard and as fast as he can, serving Jesus and the saints. It's a beautiful story. We need to hear that. We need to remember. He teaches us a lot. We, when, when God takes hold of us, we can never say, well, you know, I've messed up too badly to be used by God. Because He redeems us. And neither are we too important to serve. No matter who we are. And so today, this is what we'll be considering. Christ gives gifts to His servant people. That's all of us, by the way. Christ gives gifts to His servant people, employing them all to do the work of the ministry. Employing them all to do the work of ministry. Now, you may have noticed, as I mentioned earlier, that we're not rushing through this passage. We're going fairly slowly. Of course, we're bringing in a lot of extra material about the spiritual gifts from other passages, and we're going to do that again today. But I don't want us to get in a hurry here. I want us to have plenty of time to consider how is it that each of us is prepared, gifted by God to serve in His church. Well, last week, we looked first at how Jesus gave certain gifts to equip the saints. You remember there was there were those gifts that we had looked at that are designed to equip. Okay, so there's two groups of gifts that are still ongoing today. There are those that are designed to equip everybody to do the work of ministry, and then there are serving gifts that we'll be looking at today. So, so second point of our this, these three weeks we're going to be looking at this. Second is this: Jesus' initial goal was for the saints to do the work of ministry. His initial goal. So he talk, he said he gave these gifts, these equipping gifts. Why? He gave them for the initial goal. Of equipping the saints to the, to do the work of ministry. Okay, so that's the initial. Now, we're going to look next time, Lord willing, at the ultimate goal, which will be the last phrase of verse twelve and verse thirteen. Okay, so we're going to look at what is it? Where is Jesus going with all of this? What is the point? The ultimate point to it all? So let's look again briefly here at our text, Ephesians chapter four, verse eleven and twelve. He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service or ministry. Why? To the building up of the body of Christ. So this ongoing work of the evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and we said that the apostles and prophets have completed their work, and we have everything in these churches that they have planted, and particularly in the Scriptures. We have everything we need. Their ministry is done. They've already provided everything we need for the equipping. But you have evangelists, pastors, and teachers that what they do is they take the Scriptures, and then they explain them, they teach from those, and show how to apply, and so they're Equipping everyone to do the work of ministry. So, those gifts, the, the three that are still ongoing today evangelists, pastors, and teachers, they make other people fit. Fit for what? fit for the work of ministry, fit for the work of service. Again, as I said, that's the initial goal, to equip all saints to carry out the work of ministry. And and we can take this as, you know, the work of ministry or the work of the ministry. You can translate it either way. And, And as I thought about it, I didn't see really much difference in the two, although you probably could take it a certain way or that. But I think really it has the same idea. It's just the work of ministry. It is work that is characterized by service or work that's characterized by ministry it's a it's a serving work is the idea here that Paul is bringing out and so this word for service or ministry uh, it's tied or it's related to the word for deacon you know diaconos you know that word means to serve to uh, it was used for waiting tables that is serving food distributing food but that word in the New Testament is not restricted to only deacon-type work because it's applied to the apostles' work in Acts chapter 1. And, and so this idea of service, and here we're looking at a broader concept of service because when he uses the word diakonos or the, the for, various forms of that word, he can mean this general service that all of us are to be doing, and that's what we're talking about here today, then there is a more specific work where the deacons, as an office, have work to do. But then there, is, there are those who have the gift of, we're going to see in a minute, helps or serving. Okay? And this, again, he's just going to use that same word, the akonos, for serv- serving. And so there's different ways you can look at it. We're looking at the broadest uh, idea of that in the New Testament. So service here refers to the unique ministry that the Lord has assigned to each one of us. So you you will probably have more than one gift. I know some people look at it as each person gets one gift, but as I think about not only my ministry but many of the ministries that I know you all have, I see that there are there, there's almost always more than one gift going on there. And you'll see that as we walk through some of these gifts in a minute, how they they overlap and they work together with even gifts like teaching, for example. Okay, so. For example, it's used. Paul uses it in Acts twenty for the ministry he says which I receive from the Lord Jesus. And so, each of us has a ministry, if you will, and you can look at that as in verse eleven, Christ's gift, and that He has given. Um, or actually, verse seven, uh, Christ's gift. This this ministry He's given to you, which it's a unique combination of spiritual gifts. So, for example, a teacher who has the gift of teaching, they generally are, are going to also have the, this gift of encouragement or exhortation. Okay, And there's going to be some other gifts that can come to play in that. So you're going to have a, a unique combination that Christ has designed for you, and that is, that is your ministry. That ministry can be full-time. it's so like for me. Okay, I'm full-time and serving full-time. Our brother here is serving full-time, right? But that's not the only way it's used. It's also used, this idea of ministry, uh, as something that all believers are to do. So Timothy, like Paul, had a, a full-time ministry. Paul told him, fulfill your ministry, 2 Timothy four five. But 2 Corinthians 5.18 talks about we all have this ministry of reconciliation where we're seeking to reconcile sinners to Christ. And so that's a ministry all of us have. Now, to think about spiritual gifts, and we need to say this because today, there, especially with the gift of tongues, there's um, this misunderstanding. Some people say, oh, you know, I, uh, tongues, I edify myself. And actually, the, that was one of the abuses in Corinth Paul deals with. Spiritual gifts are not given to edify the person that has the gift. They're always used. They're for the common good, Paul says, in First Corinthians. You see, they're they're for the church. You know, so whatever your gift is, it's not for you per se. It is for you to serve the church. Okay. Each of us has work to do. And so, one of the things I hope comes out of all of this, these lessons on spiritual gifts is that we not think of just doing church. You know, I go to church and I do church. I don't want us to, I mean, it's okay to say those things, but I don't want us to think of it as this is some weekly ritual that we have. Because a lot of people think that way. Going to church is a, we, a ritual that they follow. But I don't, also don't want us to think of it as merely a social outlet. It is that. I mean, we do come and we fellowship and that is, in a sense, a social outlet. But that's not the main reason we come here, you see. I, I want us to think that as we come to church, and as we, in a sense, do church throughout the week, even though we're not assembled all together, we still are doing the ministry that Christ has given each one of us. And I want us to think in terms of, of how we are working to build His church. And next week, I'm going to talk about and show why, as I'm going to say, that everything you do has an eternal significance to it. And that is because we're building something. Okay, We'll talk about that more next time. But I want us to transform the way we think about church. When we serve one another, we do work that is eternally significant. I want us to grasp that. All of the work that you do, uh, especially here on Sunday mornings, uh, you know whether you're greeting people at the door, you're changing diapers, uh, teaching from the pulpit, whatever work that is, you know the musical accompaniment, everything, that it has eternal significance. You see, it's not about this Sunday so much; it's about eternity. And I want us to think in those ways so that we elevate what we think about, what we do in our ministries. So, I want to take some time now to go into more detail about the serving gifts. And this is kind of why we're going more slowly, because I want to bring in from those other passages about spiritual gifts. We talked about the temporary gifts. We've talked about the equipping gifts. Some of those were temporary. Three of those are still going. We talked about already evangelist, pastor, and teacher. But there's some more gifts that are still ongoing, and I want to talk about that. Those are the serving gifts. So there were equipping gifts, and then there also are serving gifts. Uh, these serving gifts basically they show care for others, but they also help to grow the church. You might not think of it that way. Well, okay, I can see how pastor and teacher and some of those you know, work toward building the church. But I don't see how working in the nursery builds the church. I don't see how giving a word of encouragement to someone that I see needs encouragement, how that builds the church. And I want you to understand that it does. Because what, Jesus is, or what Paul is going to tell us is that when we get to the end of verse 12 next time, We build up the body of Christ, and then he expands upon that and gives us a lot more information about it in verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. You see, that is what all of our work works toward, you see, and that's why it is significant. And again, more on that next time. So let's look at these different gifts more specifically. And what I what I want to do in these is not only explain what they are, what they do, but also give you some examples of those gifts in action. And and so uh, so that you can look at that. And you, because you, you, you may say, you know, I I don't know what God how, how he wants to use me. I don't know how I can serve. Well, I'm going to give a lot of different examples. Um, And those are not the only ones. You might think of some that I didn't think of, okay? Um, And that's the idea. That's what I hope to accomplish. So the the gift uh, gift of helps or service. And there's two different Greek words that are used for those. Um, The one word we've already talked about... uh, Diakonia, which is, you know, related to deacon, that's the word for service. But then there's another Greek word that's used, and for those of you like me, Greek geeks, uh, it's Lampsis, or it's from Antilambano, and and so uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit in just a minute. So there's two different words that are used, and so I wanted to bring them both out because they're both important, helps, service, okay? The gift of helps, they're described in 1 Corinthians twelve five as existing in varieties of services. And, and I, I've brought this out before when we were talking about the gifts, that sometimes Paul will, will express them as um, plural. Because it, it, there's not just one. I mean, we might think in terms like, again, pick on an easy one, teaching. You know, we tend to think of teaching, well, that's kind of straightforward. But it's not. There's more examples of that. And when we talked about the teacher, said, okay, there is preaching like I'm doing right now. There's teaching like a number of different teachers did, teaching Sunday school this morning, teaching Bible studies, and there's counseling and discipleship. All of that is the gift of teaching. Okay? So you see there's varieties of ways in which each of the gifts are are used in the church. And so you might say, well, you know, I kind of feel like I, I have the gift of teaching, but... You know, I'm not especially you ladies, you're not ever going to be a pastor, okay, so you'll never preach. Okay. But you might teach. Well, no, I'm I'm not, you know, getting up in front of people, okay, but you might be used in counseling and discipling. Okay, so there might so I'm just trying to show you different ways and to bring out things that Paul says, especially with these different this idea of the plural, there's different manifestations of a gift within a church. And Peter, uh, in his passage in First Peter 4, talking about it, he says that the one who serves should do it by the strength which God supplies. And that's very helpful for us because it really applies to all the gifts. By the strength which God supplies. In other words, believers are not able to exercise their spiritual gifts without God's strength. Making ministry effective, and Paul elaborates that in, on that in Ephesians or sorry First Corinthians, where he's talking about it's the Spirit who energizes those gifts. Peter says it a little differently; it's God's strength that works through those gifts. And see, that's what sets it apart because you're going to see some of this, like when we talk about acts of mercy. You say, well, you know, I, I sometimes will do acts of mercy. But, you know, do I have the gift of showing mercy? You might not, because all of us are supposed to show mercy. But there are times when the Spirit works through a particular person to do that even at a, in a greater way than all of us are required to do. So so we some of us might do gifts of mercy as we see it. There's some people who have the gift of mercy, and for one, they're good at noticing that, oh, wow, that person needs mercy. They, they need us to do something, you see. So they're more attuned to that. They also are more attuned a lot of times to knowing what to do and how to do it. This gift of helps isn't glamorous and it doesn't get a lot get a lot of attention and uh, because it's mostly the idea is supporting others. And that is usually done, often done in the background and sometimes even anonymously. Okay, but a support role doesn't get typically the kind of attention that other gifts might get. But remember what Paul said. The ones that Need some extra help, or the ones that get the attention, okay? And and so you might think, well, you know, gift gift of helps is not that's what I have. Doesn't get much attention, but remember that that means it's actually one of the more significant gifts, and I hope to show you that here. It is probably the most widely used gift because it's so crucial. It is so necessary. And if you think, you know, well, you know, I, I've served for many years and, you know, nobody even knows some of the things I do. God does. And He's using that to build His church. And so keep in mind the importance of this gift. Now, I mentioned the, the other word, not diakonia, the, the word related to deacon. But the other word, the word for helps in first in corinthians 12 twenty eight Paul uses that word and that word expresses a beautiful concept originally it meant to grasp something and the idea of that is like you see someone and they're trying to carry you know their luggage or something you're in the airport and and you see someone that is really struggling because the their their bag is too heavy for them and so the idea is, is to grasp it, put it over your own shoulder and carry it for them. That's the idea behind this. And it's a beautiful picture. It means to take up someone's burden. And it's used that way in Scripture. It means to come to someone's aid to assist them. You see someone needing help and you go and you help. You, you take that up for them. And so these people typically take on supporting roles. They free up others to carry out their particular ministries. Think about those, we call them the first deacons in Acts chapter 6. Okay, what did they do? Why, Why did they start that whole idea of a deacon ministry? Well, there was a need. And it came to the apostles, because they're the only leaders at that time. And they said, but it's not right for us to put aside what God has called us to, to preach and to pray. And so they said, let's appoint these men. And they did. The idea what those first deacons did was they freed up the apostles to do the ministry that they had been called to, prayer and preaching, preaching the Word. You see, it was a hugely important ministry. And, and you, you may look at that and not think it's that important, but it is because. So what if what if the apostles weren't able to spend time in prayer? That's kind of huge, right? And what if they were not? They didn't have time to preach the word because they were so busy taking care of those widows that weren't being fed. Well, if they weren't preaching the word, that's kind of huge, isn't it? You see, and so these men. Were able to free up the apostles. Now, thinking in this this term back to the other word uh, related to deacon, um, for example, it, it can be more broadly used than just for that deacon ministry, because Paul in Romans sixteen commends Phoebe as someone he says who is a servant that's related to the word deacon, who is a servant of the church, which is at Synchria. And he says that the reason that she is a servant, and I want you to help her in her need, is because she has come to the aid of so many, including me, Paul said. You see, so she's a beautiful example of this as well, of someone who served and helped others. So let's talk about a few examples of this, and I'll probably give you more on this one than the others because this one is so critical. Faithful intercession. Okay, I, I sometimes will hear people say, you know, especially as you know, they may be you know, or homebound, or they're um, getting to the stage of life where they, they can't do a lot of the things that other people might be able to do, and they say, all I can do is pray. Well, I know what you mean. But all you can do is pray. That's one of the most important things you can do. And and there are people who devote themselves faithfully to prayer. They pray more than the rest of us. They have a heart for that. And oh, how important that is. Being a helper to a Sunday school teacher. Serving in the nursery or the twos and threes. Providing musical accompaniment in worship. and think about that one for a minute because... We all appreciate the fact that, or the, the service of those of you who will uh, accompany uh, through, through your instruments in our worship. That is a service to all of us, but it's also a service to the worship leaders, right? And it's going to be kind of hard to do if you to do it, you know, Acapulco, right? And it's like. <clears throat> it's service. Helping with office tasks. Helping with the church library. Maintaining the literature racks. Greeting and welcoming visitors. Helping, and sometimes this, can, this is not just doing something to free others up, but just helping people who, who can't do some things themselves. Now that starts to overlap with mercy, and we'll see in a minute. But maintenance and repair of church facilities. Preparing the elements for the Lord's Supper serving in the audio visual ministries and you know again i i, I appreciate these guys because you know they can make me look really bad or really good no I, I appreciate them because they do their work and i don't have to worry about it okay so when when the mic starts you know kind of doing a weird thing they're on it okay and and you know they they see that i've got a good working mic and they take care of it. i don't have to worry about it and I've been in situations where I didn't have that blessing. And it was a trial. I was, you know, concerned about, okay, and distracted from preaching. You see, so they, they take up things to free others up. They support. And how important that is. Serving in the field, helping missionaries you need help out there? Just a little, right? And you might think, well, I, I don't have the gift of evangelism or teaching, so I don't have any place in the mission field. Would you say that that's right, Jim? Not at all, right?
0: And you're helping from
1: here, too. Amen. So that's, thank you. I didn't think of saying it that way. That's ex- excellent. So there's help from here as well. So you can be helping here for the mission field. Or be out in the mission field helping. So there's a place even for those who will help and come alongside missionaries uh, and help them in their service. Again, remember, like I was just talking about, you're you're doing things so that they don't have to do them and freeze them up to do their ministry. And, you know, you may think that, uh, well, okay, you know, I've, me, you know, I've always been a teacher. That wasn't the case. My first ministries were ministries of service. Okay, I served in the tape ministry and and some others helped in Sunday school and just a helper. Those were my first ministries. That was came before teaching and preaching. All right, let's talk about administrations leading. Uh, same gift, two different words used in here. <clears throat> this word for leading referred to piloting a ship. Okay, so don't think in terms of you know the boss. Uh, not that. But piloting a ship, you know, they're keeping it on course. There's a a set course. This is where we're supposed to go, what we want to go around, and that sort of thing. And and so they're they're steering. And that's the idea here. They lead. They supervise. They manage diligently. But they do so as a servant, not lording over others. Remember, this is a serving gift. You might... "Ah." Leading and serving? I mean, leading is serving? Yes. Every saint is to be a servant, but God ordains some servants to lead other servants. And think in in these terms like... Okay, see, back in the ancient times, you would have a, um, a household and it had a lot of different servants. There generally would be one servant that's over all of the servants, or there's one who's over all the servants in the house. That person's still a servant. Okay? They're not the boss. They're not the owner of the house. They're a servant. They just are organizing the other servants. And so those who have the gift of leading or administrations, that's what they do. So uh, MacArthur comments on this. He says that the person with this gift has the ability to make wise decisions and to mobilize, motivate, and direct others toward an objective. You see, there's that steering like the ship captain, right? And, uh, and so we piloting a ship. And so, some examples. The elders are going to have this gift; they lead. Uh, deacons oversee various ministries and services. They sometimes will coordinate uh, for a particular thing, like recently with you know some of the moves. You know, they would coordinate those to see that it all happened. And but there are coordinators in our church, for example. There's those who coordinate the nursery; uh, those who coordinate the missions program, coordinate mercy meals, coordinate the Sunday school teachers, uh, and then those who coordinate for special occasions and events and things like that. See, these people have the ability to kind of get everybody, you know, headed in the right direction and making sure everything gets done, it gets done on time, and and that's what the gift of leading does. Okay, the gift of encouragement. Sometimes uh, exhortation, it's called that. I want to call it encouragement because that's actually more the idea in that word. And we sometimes think of exhortation as, you know, telling you what to do kind of thing. And that's not really what this one does. Okay, it's more encouragement. There is an exhortation in it. But it has the idea of to encourage, to exhort, to comfort, to console. And... Here, you can see how gifts work together. This gift should be used. It should be something that a person has when they preach. Those who teach, those who counsel, those who disciple. And, and even in, you know, person-to-person words of encouragement. So you, you see someone in the hall, and there are some of you that are just better at noticing. Oh, they look a little down, discouraged. I'm going to go encourage them. And sometimes just a few words of encouragement, or, or, you know, you hadn't seen them a couple Sundays. You call them, "Hey, how you doing?" And encourage. And well, you know, i kind of struggling. So you encourage them. These people sometimes will befriend those who are lonely or those who are outcast. Remember, Barnabas did that with both Paul and Mark. They come alongside those who need encouragement. And it can be expressed in words of compassion that seek to heal so that improvement or perseverance occurs. You see, that's the idea behind it. That's why I prefer to call it the gift of encouragement because they're not necessarily coming along, you know, thumping somebody. They're coming along saying, hey, okay, I realize that, you know, you're having a rough time. You're not handling it so well. You're not responding so well. I want to encourage you. I'm coming alongside you and I want to encourage you and, and let's walk together in this so that you're back on your feet and, and live in the way that God calls you to. This encouragement can come face to face. It sometimes comes in cards and letters, as some of you are are really good at, through phone calls. And even these days, I would have never thought 10 years ago I would have said this, but even in text messages. So... You know, I, it was one of those things that I, you know, I was like, okay, I'm not going there. You know, I still haven't gone to Facebook. Okay, I'm holding out there. But <laughs> text messages, I never thought I would go there. And of course, well, I had daughters, and, you know, and I needed to know what were they doing, and, you know, so I needed to learn texting. So, and that's the only way I could converse with them. Yeah, that's fine. But we can do that. We can use text messages even to encourage someone. The gift of giving. In Romans twelve eight, it's a he uses an intensified form of give, and again, you Greek geeks, uh, you know, didamiv to give, but it has meta with, along with, is at the front of it, and it intensifies it. But it brings this idea of um, you can also in, translate it as they impart, because there's a sacrificial element in their giving, but also it's there's a giving of themselves in it. You know, it's not just this kind of cold, uh, you know, just, as I said, I think last time or two, you know, just writing checks kind of thing. Now, you know, the giving of money is a big part of this, but it's not just that. You see, there's, there's something to it where they, they're giving themselves. It's intensified type of giving, not necessarily more giving. But they are to give with liberality, Paul said. In other words, there's two ideas in that word. One is to give uh, with generosity. Think about the churches in Macedonia. Paul said, "Who, uh, or Luke said, no, sorry, it was Paul. In a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Okay, these are people in poverty, and Paul describes them, you know, the, the overflow of wealth from them. So it's not necessarily that it's more money, for example, Sometimes that's needed, but that's not always the case. And so God sees this because they are giving of themselves. And he says they gave beyond their ability. They gave of their own accord. There's that idea, right? That's what the gift of giving is. But that word for with liberality can also describe sincerity. So they need to guard their hearts so that they're doing it for the right reasons. You know, it's, we're all like this. We're all tempted that sometimes, you know, we, we want to get the attention, you know, recognized that we give. And and so they need to guard their hearts because God calls them and empowers them to give more, probably more frequently and more intentionally then all of us are called to give, and so they have to guard their hearts. So God empowers some to give in special ways to meet the needs of the church and of fellow members. Showing mercy. This is someone who's moved with compassion to do acts of mercy. Now, this is not an attitude of mercy, this is not a mindset of mercy. We're all to have that. These are actually acts of mercy. Okay? This is actually where you're doing it. Okay, That's what this gift is. is showing mercy, doing acts of mercy for those in need. And those in need are those who uh, may be vulnerable, like widows, orphans, those who are being oppressed, those who are in danger, they're in some sort of distress, they may be sick or dying. And Paul said they must show mercy with cheerfulness. An example of that is Dorcas in Acts 9.36. She's described as abounding with deeds of kindness and charity. And that word charity literally is acts of mercy. Abounding with acts of mercy. That's the spiritual gift, right? Someone like Dorcas who abounds in showing mercy. And you can see how, how these things they overlap you see the gifts of, gift of help, service, giving, showing mercy. Those, those can all overlap. Some examples. Preparing meals. Visiting and helping the sick. Visiting those who are homebound or in nursing homes. Helping someone in a difficult situation. Ministering to the poor. Ministering those to those with special needs. Just a few examples of ways to show mercy. And then one more. Hospitality. Uh, this uh, Peter says in First Peter four nine is to be done with an unselfish attitude. Now, it's not clear if hospitality is a spiritual gift. I think it is. For one, it's in Peter's uh, list, or right. It comes right before his list. You know, and of course, his list. It's, that's us saying that's his list. Okay, he didn't say here's my list. You know. So where did he really start the list? And then hospitality shows up in Romans 12, not far from Paul's list, right? But I I wanted to talk about it and include it for at least a couple reasons. One, because I do think it is probably a spiritual gift. It's important for us to think about because there's a sense in which all of us are supposed to show hospitality, but there are some, we're going to talk about that, seem gifted in that. But I also want it to be something for us to think about. Uh, you know, the question has come up, are, are those lists exhaustive? Well, no one of them is. We know that because they're different. Okay, they have some overlap, but they're different. And if you take all four of the lists in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, and you pull them all together, is that list exhaustive? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, I could probably fit everything into one of those gifts. But there might be some, like hospitality, that might actually be a true spiritual gift. And some people do consider it one, as I do. And and let me kind of draw a distinction here so you, you understand what I'm talking about as a gift because we're all called to be hospitable. Now, Connie and I frequently have people in our home uh, most weeks, and sometimes there's we even do that and provide meals uh, along with it. But it's primarily an extension of our ministries of counseling and discipleship. And, and I asked to make sure she agreed with me, but we don't consider that we have the gift of hospitality, because we see there's a difference between what we do in opening our home and what some others do that i think do have that gift those people who are gifted in hospitality they're particularly good at providing a warm loving environment often that includes meals might include lodging they provide a place for warm fellowship especially for people who need fellowship you know so they the word for hospitality showing hospitality means a love of strangers and so whenever people show hospitality to me i think well they probably think he's strange so <laughs> it's fitting uh, they they are able to see that somebody needs fellowship and you see how this can kind of overlap with uh, the gift of encouragement right and it's just there's more to it though instead of it being a word of encouragement it's like why don't you come over today And hang with us. And you can have supper with us. Um, These are people that host missionaries, or maybe they host conference speakers, they host gatherings of the saints, or a very important ministry is hosting a small group. And, you know, that may be something that God would use you all in to host a small group. That does not mean you have to lead it, okay? Hosting it and leading it can be separate, okay? So you find somebody who has the gift of teaching, say, hey, will you lead the small group? I just want to host it because I have the gift of hospitality. I would like to do that as a blessing to our church. And so, you see, does that help to understand that there's, there's a difference in the general hospitality that we all are to do? and the hospitality of those who are gifted there's something the spirit of god uses them empowers them in a way to be a special blessing to someone uh in need especially if they need fellowship or to gather the saints and um, for like a small group or something so what combinations what combination of these gifts has jesus given to you will you explore ways if you haven't yet? Or if you do know some of your giftedness, will you explore new ways that you could be used in the church to serve others? And for those of you who have been faithful in using your gifts for years, be encouraged by the significance of your work, whether it's in helps, forgiving, mercy, hospitality, encouragement, giving. Be encouraged by the significance of your work. How do you do the work of ministry? If that's your job. It's not just mine. It's not just the elders. It's not just the elders plus deacons. It's not just the elders, deacons, coordinators, women's council, missionaries. It's our work. It's our work. I, I hope in this that, in these studies, that more and more of us see how it is that God will use each of us in significant ways. And I'll elaborate more about, upon the eternal significance of it next time. But to see that, yes, I have a part to play in this church. And not only this local body, GBC, but in the church, capital C, the church of Jesus Christ, which that's what we're going to talk about, building the body of Christ, building it up. As we come to the Lord's Supper, think about how, like the disciples, John Mark ran when Jesus was arrested. You see, that was what needed to happen. Because Jesus had to do all the work by Himself. The work of redemption was all His. A hundred percent God's. No one else could be a part of that. And as much as Jesus wants us helping Him now in His work of building His church, that was help that He could not have not during the time that He spent suffering for us and dying for us. But He did that to redeem us. All of us, you know, John Marks, who were good at running and failing, to redeem us, bringing us into His kingdom. And as a part of that redemption, He's continually reworking us, redeeming every part of us to make us useful in that kingdom. And a part of that, a big part of that, is that He gives us gifts to use in His service. So meditate on this as, in the next few minutes while the music's playing, think about what it is that Jesus has done and how He has taken you and me and He's redeemed us if you're a believer and provided for you to serve Him. If you're visiting with us and if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we welcome you to partake with us of the Lord's table. And as the uh, elements are distributed, there's two cups stacked together. You'll take both of those. So the men would come forward now and distribute the elements, please.